right, let's put our hands together and just celebrate the love, the generosity, uh, video of our church family reaching out to our community and being generous. And that's the series we're in uh, this month called Generous because it's not about me, it's about we. It's not about I, it's about us. And as we discover being generous, we grow in our relationship with uh, God. That's what it's all about, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we grow in our relationship with others because we're connected to our community, our family. And so it's loving God and loving people. And uh, today's message is called Gotta Serve Somebody, brought to you by Bob Dylan. Some of you say, Bob who? And others of you know exactly. Well, just to put it in context, he would be the Kanye West of his generation. He was a lyricist and a poet. He had an encounter with Jesus. Uh, late 70s, early 80s, shaped his music in a profound way. He released the album, A Slow Train Coming, and on that album was the song, Gotta Serve Somebody. I don't know all the lyrics, but I know this part of the song that says, got to serve somebody. Yes, got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Yeah, okay, I didn't sing. Oh, I got the scratchy voice to do it like Dylan. But I, I don't know the inspiration uh, for Dylan's lyrics, but I do know that he was profoundly influenced by the scriptures. He talks about that. And if there was a scripture that influenced this concept about got to serve somebody, it was probably the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, as he's speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, well, you got to serve somebody. Nobody can serve two masters. Reading from the Amplified Bible, it says, no one can serve two masters, the words of Jesus. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And if you're taking some notes, circle that word mammon. We're going to talk about it. Uh, some versions translate the word money. But it actually was an Aramaic word. The Greeks had another word for money. And the Aramaic word comes out of the Syriac dialect because it was referencing a Syrian god. Jesus is not just talking about the piece of money. He's talking about the idea behind money, uh, the spirit behind money. The Amplified Bible says that mammon would count money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord, which would make it an idol. Jesus uses the word mammon that we have captured in the scriptures uh, four times. Once in Matthew chapter 6, and the other three times in Luke chapter 16. And if you have your scriptures, you want to open to Luke 16. That's where we'll be today. And in Luke 16, Jesus tells one of the strangest stories that he ever told. Scholars will say it was one of the hardest to understand stories. Because usually when Jesus would tell a story, there would be a protagonist. Good God, light There'd be an antagonist, darkness, the devil, demons. There'd be a moral, uh, redeeming virtue in the story. But when he tells the story of Matthew 16, 
Everyone in the story is corrupt. There's a businessman, he's corrupt. There's someone that works for the businessman as a manager or a steward, he's corrupt. There's the people that they do business with, they're corrupt. Everybody is corrupt. And as he's teaching this, he's using over and over again the word mammon. He's really teaching us about the misuse of mammon, the concept, the spirit behind material possessions. And here's how the story goes as Jesus tells it in Matthew 16. This is the manager, the unjust steward. And he's about to be fired because he's been embezzling. How many know that's not good? That's corrupt. The business manager has been embezzling. The business owner discovers it, and he's about to fire him. But before he gets fired, he goes to people that owe the boss money, and he adjusts their bill so that he can make some money off of them as well. Just corrupt. Here's what happens. Summoning, summoning his master's debtor, everyone that owed the boss money, he summoned them all together to a, a grand meeting. One by one, he came to them. The first one, he said, how much do you owe my boss? How much do you owe my master? The person responded, I owe a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take out your bill. Sit down, quick. Cut it in half. Just write down 50. We'll just pretend that it's 50 so that I'll be able to make some money on the side with you. But he wasn't done. He went to the next person. And he did this all day, I'm sure. He went to the next person and he said, well, how much is it that you owe? And the person says, well, I owe 100 measures of wheat. He says, quick, take out your bill. Let's take 20% off for you. Mark down 80. That's how much you owe now so that I will be able to make some money on the side. Now, when the boss discovered this, you would think the boss would be upset. But the boss was corrupt too. He was used to shady deals. He was, this made perfect sense to him because the teaching of Jesus, when the, when the business owner, the master, figured it out, found out what the guy was doing, he commends the guy. Good job. You're shrewd with the money. So this means the boss was corrupt. I'm sure many of his deals were shady. He had taught the manager how to be shady. And then everyone they did business with, nobody said, well, no, no, I really owe 100. They all were quick to take out their bill and cut it in half. Jesus then points out two groups of people. And actually, as he gives this story, this parable, he's speaking to his disciples But also on the edges of the gathering are the Pharisees. He's addressing two audiences. And he says these are the two audiences that we're dealing with. He says the sons of this world or the children of this world. That's one of the audiences. The three characters we've just talked about come from the kingdom of this world. The the children of this world. They are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children or the sons of light. So there's two different audiences. Now... The corrupt characters of this world had a philosophy about mammon that comes through in the story. Here are some of the things that they thought about material possessions or money. They felt like the almighty dollar was the almighty dollar. That's what they needed to survive. There's no inclination of looking to God. Just we got to work things out for ourselves. 
they definitely felt that money was more important than ethics. Shady deal, no problem. Ripping people off, no problem. Why? Because money is the most important thing. Everybody in the story was crooked. Everybody in the story was a crook. The business owner, the guy that worked for him, he probably learned from the boss, and the people they did business with. There's not one good character in the story because they were the Gordon Geckos of their generation. That's an old one too, I know, I reach for that, but greed is good. And this, here's what mammon does. This unhealthy relationship with money, it, it just is always hungry for more, never have enough. Uh, a few years ago, they surveyed Americans and they said, how much would you have to make to really participate in the American dream? And they surveyed people of all different incomes and the people that made about $25,000 on average says, to participate in the American dream, we would have to make uh, on average uh, $54,000. That's what it would take for us to participate in the American dream. Then they surveyed people that made a lot more, $100,000, more than the other people had even said would take. And they said, how much would it take for you to participate in the American dream? And the average answer from those people that made $100,000 was $192,000. Basically, everybody wanted to double what they made. Because mammon is never satisfied. It's like Chinese food. You eat Chinese food, and 10 minutes later or 20 minutes later, you got this, I need more. That's what mammon is always doing. I want more. And then it doesn't care because the main objective of life is to get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. It's all about me. There's no thought of generosity in the story. Everyone is looking out for themselves children of this world. Then Jesus turns his attention to talk to the children of light. He's also speaking to his disciples. And he's trying to teach them. These characters are off on all these things. They do two things right. He says there is a shrewdness. Number one, the unjust manager knew that he was going to give account. So that's a good thing. Everyone's going to give account of your life, of even how you handle your finances. That's a good thing. And the unjust manager also was thinking of his future. He just didn't think long enough, far enough. He was thinking of retirement, um, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, whatever. But Jesus says, no, no, when you handle mammon, you can't let mammon manage you. You've got to master mammon. You've got to understand it's not wrong to have possessions. Just don't let possessions have you. You've got to learn how to master mammon. So he turns to his children of light. And he says, okay, I want to teach you something now. Don't let mammon master you. I want to teach you the importance of handling finances, resources, in a generous way. So he turns to his disciples and he tells them, I tell you, he's talking to the children of light now. I tell you, I would, it'd be like me turning to you now and going, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of, and I underline that because that's the word mammon in the original text, unrighteous wealth, translated in this version, unrighteous wealth. Make friends, use your mammon to make friends. Well, isn't that what the guy was doing in the story? 
Ah, but only for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Watch how Jesus takes it and says, no, no, no. Mammon has eternal results. Here's what he says. Make friends for yourselves so that when mammon fails, and it will, <laughs> you've got to get that. Like Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, lay up for yourself in heaven treasures because the stuff here on the earth will fail. Rust and moth will come in and eat it away. Depreciation will get it. It will come to nothing. Even the house you are in today someday will be no more. This building will be no more sometime. That's the nature of life. When mammon fails, if you've made friends properly, if you've used your financing property, you will have friends that will be able to receive you into, what does he say? Good loud voice. So it's not about 60, 70 retirement years. It's about eternity. He says the way that you make sure that mammon is not mastering you is by investing your mammon, your finances, in the most important endeavor on the earth, and that's in creating friends that you will have forever. Let's say it again. That's what he's saying. The most important thing you can do with mammon is use it in a way, invest it in a way that you will have friends forever because for Jesus, every soul matters. Anyone that's far away from God is on his radar. He wants to reach them. He wants us to do everything we can do to reach them. And when we decide to be generous, when we invest in God's kingdom, we are actually doing it with the view of seeing people who are far away from God today come into the family of God, live in the family of God, and join you on your street in heaven. That's what he wants. And we can choose to use our finances that way. It's not about me. It's about expanding our vision to us. It's about we. It's about all of us. It's about influencing our kingdom. The expanded Bible takes this verse and uh, just clarifies and expands some of the thoughts. I tell you, make friends for yourselves using worldly riches or mammon, which is mammon or wealth from this unrighteous world, so that those whose riches, so, those, so, so when those riches are gone, and they will, they'll fail, they'll run out, you will be welcome in those homes that continue forever. He's talking about eternal dwellings. He's talking about God, God's presence. There's a way for you to use your finances that will influence people, not just for your retirement years, but for your eternity. When you transcend time and you are eternal beings, he wants you to have friends who will be with you forever. That's what he wants. So he says, use your finances that way. Lay. When he talks about laying up for yourself treasures in heaven, he's not talking about a bank account in heaven. He's not going, okay, I'm going to have like a million in heaven. I'm really going to be loaded. He's talking, the treasures that we lay up in heaven are people. It's souls. Every soul matters. Every person we help win Every person we invest in, this last week we invested in a church that's planting over in um, Melbourne area. We've helped to start over 40 churches together. We do that because these church planters are hungry to reach people who are far away from God. They're desperate to find people to come to church because they don't got nobody. We should always have that holy desperation. 
He goes on to say this. For then, you who have not been faithful in mammon, if you've been not faithful with mammon, who will entrust you with true riches? If you don't understand how to work your finances, you'll never understand what it means to be truly rich. Let's turn this verse. If you are faithful with your mammon, if you're faithful with the resources, then the scales will drop off your eyes and you'll find out what true riches are. And true riches are relationships that you will have that will be with you throughout eternity. That's the treasure. That's what we're laying up for. That's why we decide. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be part of God's work on the earth. I'm going to be part of the local church that reaches people that are far away from God. Because that helps me to understand what true riches are. He goes on and says, and if you have not been faithful, watch this word, in that which is another's. Remember uh, how the story starts? It with, it's with a a business owner and a manager. And there's a big difference between being a business owner and being a manager. The business owner owns. The business manager, brilliant, brilliant people come to this church. I just, uh, so here's what, here's what the concept of finances are. Who's the owner? Oh, this is really important. Who's the owner? That's, who's the manager? I'm going to try that again. Because that's the key concept. If you don't get that concept, mammon will kick your butt all day long. Who's the owner? Who's the manager? So when we were teaching about the tithe, we said, listen, God says the tithe is his. And when we learn to be generous with that, watch what he says. It belongs to someone else. We're generous with it. Then we will be able to have what we have under our uh, management as well on his behalf, but it receives the blessing of God. So we understand that everything is from God, and we understand that we're generous because he's generous, and we understand that generosity breaks the back of materialism. We live in a very materialistic society. Tis the season. It just, it tis the season. And it's going to bombard us. And, and I'm all for presence and I'm all for being generous. But the lie behind materialism is that when you finally get that present under the tree that you didn't even know you needed, because you probably didn't you'll finally be happy. And you won't be. It's not true riches. To understand Jesus' teaching on mammon is to open up your eyes where you go, oh, really? It's about eternity. It's about relationships. And it's not like those first three characters we're using mammon for to rip each other off. It's actually to bless people. It's actually to be generous. It actually is a matter of our heart. That's what Jesus says. It's a matter of our heart. That to understand true generosity is understand the heart of the matter. Because as soon as Jesus finishes this teaching about the three weird business people, corrupt business people, let me say it like that, the three corrupt, and then he turns to the children of light, and then he sums up his teaching with this. Same as in Matthew chapter 6, same concept. It's about serving somebody. It's about Got to serve somebody. Everybody here, got to serve somebody. 
And Jesus turns at the end of this story and he says, okay, let me, let me give you the conclusion. No servant can serve two masters. Got to serve somebody. For either he will hate one or he will do what? He will love. It's about your heart. But it's not just a head decision. Generosity is not just a head decision. It's about a fundamental change in your heart, your emotions. You'll love one. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. Then he wraps it up by saying, got to serve someone. No one can serve God, and the word is mammon. I just underline it, God and money, translated here. And when the Pharisees, who were in the crowd, heard this teaching... They gave up their corrupt ways. They fell on their knees and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for teaching us about mammon. We are repenting. We're now going to be generous people. Brilliant people come to this church. As soon as he was done this teaching, the Pharisees are on him and they are ridiculing this teaching and they're rejecting this teaching because they understood what it was about and they rejected this teaching. Why? Because it was a matter of their heart. Because they loved money. They got what Jesus was saying. Money's not about ripping each other off. See, they, remember this, the Pharisees tithed. They gave systematically. Remember we, Matthew 23, 23, last week Jesus talks to them and says, you tithe, but you do it wrong. You give systematically, but you don't have a heart. You should keep on tithing. You ought to tithe, he says, but you ought to do it with your heart. Well, they were hard in their heart. They didn't have their heart right. And this is the main thing that we talk about this generosity because it's part of God growing in us and having our heart. Paul writes to his friend Timothy and says, well, yeah, that's it. There it is right there. Whew. Paul and a whole other lot of people were speaking a moment ago. Here's what Paul says. It's not, some people misquote this verse. They don't get this verse. They go, money is the root of all evil. It's not the money. It's not, it, it is the, it's the love. It's, it's a heart thing. It's how your heart is. Because every person I'm talking to today, there is a battle for your heart. And one of the chief things one of the chief things that is after your heart is mammon. It's to say, we put it on our money, but we don't do it. We stamp on our money, in God we trust, but when we stamp it on our money, we actually say, in money we trust. That's, that's the concept of mammon. We stamp it on our money, in God we trust. And then we go, oh, but I really trust in you and the idea behind you and the spirit behind you. We talk about receiving Jesus into our life. We talk about receiving Jesus into our heart. We talk about loving Jesus. And when we truly receive Jesus, we receive into our, the core of our lives, into our heart, into our soul, the most generous person who ever walked the planet, who is, who is naturally generous, who naturally in this battle for our heart wants to be the one who teaches us don't trust in the worldly system. Learn the system that I live by, and that's the most important riches you have are relationships that you will have forever. That's why we invest in the kingdom of God. It's why we practice generosity, because people's souls matter to God. Jesus himself says this. We should read this one out loud. Ready? Ready to read? Let's read together. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
It's a matter of your heart. When he walked into a courtyard in Matthew 21, and it was supposed to be a place of connecting with God. But it wasn't just two hot dog vendors. Hundreds of hot dog vendors. I just paraphrased a little bit. They were pigeon vendors. And they were in a place that people were supposed to be connecting with God. How many would agree this is a place where people are to connect with God? But what had seized the space, what had seized the courtyard that was supposed to be a place of prayer, what had seized the space that God wanted to use, what had filled that courtyard? Mammon. Hot dog sellers. Money changers. And here's what happens. That, that's a, a physical illustration of what's taking place in our hearts all the time. You come here. You look good, but the spirit of mammon says, don't be generous. Hot dog! You need a hot dog! Don't give hot dogs. You need to get hot dogs. And it crowds out the space where God is trying to do something because that's what mammon does. But Jesus steps into the courtyard and he says, no way, not today, not on my watch. And he drives the money changers and the hot dog sellers. Because he says, I need to make a space where there is no separation between my people and a God who wants to be their friend. And that's the great battle of mammon. It's illustrated in Matthew 21. It's illustrated in this room. In every voice that says, hot dog, hot dog. No, 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 you don't, systematic giving, you'll find a video that argues against it. There's somebody on YouTube that'll say, no, no, don't give systematically. It's from the Old Testament. Hot dog, you need a hot dog. You need a pigeon. And the spirit of mammon seizes the space that God would like to do his work in. What happens in Matthew 21 is that Jesus pushes the people aside. He literally pushes the spirit of mammon out of that courtyard. And then people come to Jesus, and then they find healing. He makes a space for grace because that's what God wants to do. It's a matter of our heart. He wants to win the battle for our heart. And in this culture and society that we live in that is so materialistic, he says, I want to push that spirit aside. You can't serve two masters. I want to take that one out so that you really can walk with a trueness of true riches and true revelation and know that every soul matters to God. So I don't know, but I do know what you're facing in your life. There's inner dialogue that goes on. And I, I never want to be the one that speaks to you on this issue. I talk about it. I read the scriptures. I talk. But ultimately, it's a battle for your heart. And when you truly, truly, truly understand that mammon is not just to get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can, but it's about transforming people's lives by investing into spiritual voices, missionaries, missions, local churches that are reaching out to find people who are strange like Ross.
He's strange, but he needs Jesus. And so do you, and so do I. And I know this battle. When God will lay something on my heart for a systematic giving, I've got pretty much down. It's been such a part of my life, systematic giving. But special giving and sacrificial giving, the hot dog vendor will try to push. And that's say, no, no, I've got to learn how to distinguish the voice of the Spirit of God. And all we're asking you to do is these envelopes that are around is just take them, just pray over them. And say, Lord, what can I do to be part of the feeding program? And we want to get those crosses. Man, we want to get those crosses lit up and shining again as a testimony to our community, to the north and the south and the east and the west. And we just need to be a part of it. And it will take special giving and sacrificial giving for us to do that. So this is a moment that we're just thinking about these things, pushing back the spirit of mammon and really understanding, Lord, give me wisdom and revelation. And most of all, fill me with your love. Because if there's anything in your heart that's keeping you away from God, Jesus wants to take care of that. Jesus wants to do the very same thing he did in the courtyard. He wants to step into your heart and take away anything that would separate you from God today. Could be mammon. Could be something else. Another, any, any sin is always something that keeps us away from God. And Jesus came to absorb and take away all of our sin on the cross, to take them all away. So in this moment, when we turn our hearts toward Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, we understand eternal life. And we receive that life. And we offer that to every single person here today. Don't let anything be between you and God. Jesus steps into that. He pushes it away. He's taking care of it on the cross. And he asks for you just to open your heart and say, Jesus, would you step into the courtyard of my life and would you bring your healing grace to me so that you and I would be exactly where we need to be on this day and at this hour and at this time. And we all say together, amen. Let's stand together. Can we do that, friends? Let's close our eyes and let's open our hearts. I'm inviting our prayer team to come and just be filled with the Holy Spirit and prepare to minister the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this room. I'm going to lead in a prayer, a prayer of grace, a prayer of forgiveness, a prayer that says yes to Jesus Christ. If you've been far away from Jesus, this is your moment to come into the family of God. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. He just comes into a messy place and he cleans it up so he can do his healing. And I welcome every single life that can hear this voice right now. I welcome you into the family of God. And I tell you, God wants to be part of that grace that heals you. So either for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, we're going to pray a simple prayer that says, Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, you are my Lord. And I receive you today. And so can we pray together? I, I, it's good if you pray out loud. The Bible says, believe in your heart in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, that he took away all your sins, and confess with your mouth. Thanks, Jesus, for doing that. And now I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. So here's the prayer. Would we all pray together, please. And just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I open my heart and my life and my soul to Jesus Christ. I repent of my sins and I receive Jesus as my Savior 
and as my Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your love. Help me to follow Jesus every day of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody says amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, that's the best prayer in the world. That's the best prayer in the world. That's a miracle. Now, if you're getting life back together in contact with God before you go, when the worship team just begins to turn our attention towards God in worship, I want you to tell one of our prayer team, say, I pray, I need God. I need to connect with God. Our prayer team is also here to pray for healing. We believe in the healing ministry of Jesus. This morning in our service, there were some beautiful healings I saw Jesus do. And we welcome you physically, spiritually, emotionally. Jesus is a healer. And we'll pray for your healing. If you need freedom, you've been in bondage. The Bible says Jesus will set you free. And when Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. We'd like you to walk out of those doors in freedom if you're dragged into these doors. God has a touch for your life. And we'd like this to be a miraculous moment where the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit that's in this room, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's in this room, will touch your life. Just have the faith to receive it. While people are receiving prayer, the communion tables will open. And if you'd like to receive communion, you don't have to be a member of this church just a friend and a follower of Jesus, and you can receive the bread and the cup of the Lord. Remember that Jesus died on the cross for you. He took away all of your sins, all of your shame. He absorbed it all. He went into the tomb. He rose on the third day, and Jesus is here right now. And celebrate his presence in your life as you receive communion. If you've been a guest here today, thank you so much for coming. Please come again. Hot dog vendors will not be with us next week. Uh, just so you just clarify, we knew they were coming. Just so you know that. We knew they were coming. Uh, but if you've been a guest here today, uh, and, or if, if you're new to the church and you've never taken the chance to stop by the VIP room, you are a very important person, and it's back on your left-hand side. We'd like to gift you. We'd like to bless you. We'd like to greet you. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and after the prayer, there's no other benediction. Just people will come forward for prayer, and I'll invite you to receive prayer today. People will receive communion. I'll invite you to receive communion if you'd like. Just let the Lord do in your life what he would like to do. Listen to him. Don't listen, don't listen to me. I can say that clearly. Don't listen to me. Listen to his voice and respond to what he would do in your life. So I pray this prayer of blessing that the Lord will bless you. The Lord will walk with you. The Lord will keep speaking to you. That you will know the presence of God. That you will be hungry and thirsty for the presence of God. I pray that the Lord will surround you and cause you to grow in generosity as the King of generosity lives in your heart. I pray that you would serve somebody and that you, that somebody would be the Lord. I pray that your life would be a channel of incredible blessing to this generation. I pray blessing on our prayer team as they pray for you in the name of Jesus. May the miraculous, the gifts of the Holy Spirit come. And Lord, thank you for the communion. Thank you for the bread of Christ and the cup of Christ, which we receive with great joy. And we love you. We love you so very much. And all of God's people say together, amen. God bless you guys. Please come forward for prayer. Please come forward for communion.